you'd think with all this, I'd be stressing out about bigger things, but one of the biggest things I'm kind of stressing out about is, is if I end up going to Abu Dhabi, like, what am I going to do with all my stuff? <laughs> you know, my wife and I have been living in our house for 16 years, and you just accumulate stuff. You know, we have a cellar, we have an attic, and, and you get stuff, and you're like, well, you know, you don't have to throw it away because you can just put it in the basement. And you think that, that crazy thought that we all think, I might need this someday, which of course is ridiculous. Let me just show you a little bit of what I'm dealing with. I brought some show and tell. So here's some stuff from my house. All right? We got a cer- ceramic apple. Wait, it's a cookie jar. I don't know. You know, why is it an apple if it's a cookie jar? Who knows? I was looking in my basement, and I found this sketchy, filthy aquarium that, you know, I don't know what fish would want to live in there, but it's pretty nasty. Um, I found this in my basement, Chia Pet, (laughs) in the original shrink wrap, still. Anyone here for Sunday? Any first-time guests? We're, well, we're glad you're here and we have something for you. <laughs> Good grief. And then one more. Uh, this is a replica of Gandalf's staff from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Pretty sure that's going to Abu Dhabi. Yeah. <laughs> we have all this stuff. And, and you know, it's, it's like, what are you going to do with it? Do you sell it? Do you have a big yard sale? I, I kind of hate yard sales, but I know people do them. And, and then, you know, or do you do eBay or Craigslist or do you give it away or do you, you know, like what, what do you do with all, with all the stuff, right? And it's not just that, that there's this logistical mountain called what do I do with all my stuff, but there's a kind of emotional component to it too. Because this is, this is like my, the artifacts of my existence. This is the, the, the sort of physical history of my life. I mean, it's not just my stuff. It's, it's all my life is in that house and in all of that junk that I have. I mean, we're talking about just not things. We're talking about my life, right? Or is it my life? It's funny how thinking about a huge move makes you really philosophical. What is my life? And what does our life consist? And is it in all that stuff that I've accumulated in my basement? Open your Bibles to 1 Peter this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1. It's on page 1200 in the Pew Bible. Page 1200 in 1 Peter chapter 1. And if you were with us last Sunday, you know we started a brand new sermon series in 1 Peter. Uh, so if you're, if you're new here this Sunday, not only do you get a Chia Pet if you want it, but uh, the good news is you're at the front end of a sermon series. And 1 Peter was written to help Christians think through what it looks like to live faithfully for Jesus in a hostile cultural context. 1 Peter is helping Christians uh, understand what, what it means to, to be uh, 
fruitful Christians when the culture opposes them in a lot of ways, and there's a lot of pushback and even suffering as a result. And, and it's a, a helpful text for us because, as we talked about last Sunday, as Christians living in a postmodern culture in America, and in a post-Christian culture, that there's increasing hostility toward the faith in a number of levels. And so First Peter speaks with fresh relevance to us today. And last Sunday, if you're here, you know Peter introduced us to this idea that we as Christians are elect exiles, that we are simultaneously chosen by God, elected by God, we belong to Him, and yet we're also strangers in this land. We're foreigners, we're expats, we're aliens, we don't belong here. And so we live in this tension between being God's beloved people who rejoice in that, but who also experience great pushback and hostility and and difficulty and static from the world around us. And so Peter wants to help us navigate that. And and one of the things that we have to understand if we're going to live faithfully in a post-Christian or any kind of hostile cultural context is that our life is not in this life. That our life is not in my or in even my relationships or in my career. My life is, is not here. My life is not in the UAE. My life is somewhere else. I have a life that's not of this life. And that, that knowledge and, and the, the joy that that brings is the fuel that drives us forward and continues us walking forward with Jesus in a difficult time and a difficult age. So this morning we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Let me read these verses. We actually read them at the beginning of the service, but let me read them again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter begins his letter with a, a note of praise and worship. Actually, it's, it's a big old long sentence. It keeps running from verse 3 down to verse 12. And, and this morning, we're just going to look at verses 3 to 5. But this whole section, the purpose of it, is that Peter wants to remind the Christians and remind us of where our hope is, where our treasure is, where our life is, and, and remind us that it's in our salvation in Christ, and it's not of this world. And so he wants us to praise God. You know, it starts off in verse 3 with a note of praise. Praise God. And so we as Christians, even in the worst of times in this life, should always have a spirit and a note of praise about us. We have something to praise God for, which is this great salvation that we have that the world can't touch and that we always have and that is greater than anything that this life can throw at us. And so what Peter wants to do is start us off, before he gets into all the, he's going to get later in the book into like, this is how you deal with suffering, and this is how you go through trials. But before that, he wants to set us off on the right foot and say, we praise God because we have this amazing salvation. So what we're going to do this Sunday and probably for the next couple Sundays is just think through this great salvation that we have in Christ. And so we look at verses 3 to 5 today, and it's kind of like we're being shown our, our great salvation piece by piece. 
Uh, the, the image I had in my mind as I was thinking about this was once I, I took a trip to uh, England with my wife. We went to London and we visited the Tower of London. I don't know if you've ever been there. And in the Tower of London, kind of the, the big thing you go see there are the crown jewels of, of the royal family. They're on display there. So you finally get in to see the crown jewels uh, and, and they're you know, beautiful, big sapphires and diamonds and ridiculously amazing, invaluable uh, pieces of jewelry and um, anyway but to see them they're in this glass container and in it's kind of a surprise you get in the room and you have to actually stand on a conveyor belt and the conveyor belt sort of moves you along it goes real slow but this way they keep people moving you know and and then and you get to see kind of like you know looking and trying to take in the crown and then there's the scepter but the whole time you're just being sort of motored along here and and that's sort of how I felt verses three to five are it's kind of a conveyor belt ride past the great riches of salvation, except in this case, it's not crown jewels that belong to some royal family. It's the crown jewels that belong to you. This is your inheritance. These are your blessings in Christ. So let's look at these, and there's three of them we're going to look at this morning. There's one in verse 3, there's one in verse 4, and there's one in verse 5. And we're just going to ride the conveyor belt and remind ourselves of what we have in Jesus. And the first treasure we have, the first great blessing we have, is a new birth. Look at verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It all starts with a great treasure of a new birth, a second birth, born again. I know you've probably heard the phrase born again Christians. Some of you are maybe very familiar with that phrase. You get it. Maybe others of you, you've heard it, but it's like, what does that really mean? Sometimes born-again Christian can have kind of a political overtone to it, but it's not political. It's, it's actually just very biblical. Um, the reality is that the, the term born-again Christian is actually a redundancy. Because if you're born again, biblically speaking, you're a Christian. And you can't be a Christian, biblically speaking, unless you're born again. In terms of, of the scriptural understanding, there's no such thing as a non-born-again Christian. I mean, you can call yourself a Christian, but in terms of how the Bible understands what a Christian is and what the Bible says about what a Christian is, there's no such thing as being a Christian without having this strange, wonderful experience of being born again. Peter taught this, and Jesus taught this. I mean, that's where Peter gets this, is really from the teaching of Jesus. In 1 Peter, there's a lot of Jesus' teachings that get carried over. And one of the things Jesus taught is he said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born again. So this new birth is central to being a Christian. So, so what is this new birth? What, what are we talking about here? Well, we get some light on it as we move through the rest of the verse there. We've been given a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Jesus is raised. Jesus has a new life. Jesus experienced, a, you could say, a new birth. He, he was dead, and then he came to life again. And, and so because Jesus is raised and, and to never die again, when we believe in Jesus, when we repent of our sins, when we put our faith in Jesus, not only does Jesus forgive our sins, but we're, we're united to Jesus. Uh, this is a great doctrine called the un- union with Christ. We, we have a union with Jesus. We're united to him. And so that his life becomes our life, and we share in his life with him. 
Uh, so, so it's not just that we believe in him, but that we become one with him. And so now there's this new life of Christ that enters us. And, and we have this experience of being born again. We have a different heart. We're a different person. Or to put it another way, you have a new life. <laughs> this life is not our life anymore. And I don't just mean that in some figurative sense. I mean there is a new spiritual life that has taken hold of us, which is our sharing in the life of Christ. You know, one of the things that that we do in our church is we baptize people, and a lot of churches do that. But in a a Baptist church, one of our little uh, peculiarities is that when we baptize people, we we fully dunk them under the water, right? And they come up out of the water. You know, there's no spritzing or sprinkling or, you know, drizzling. I mean, it's it's full on. And, And when people get baptized and come out of the water, there's a reason we do that. It's, it's really borrowing the language and the imagery from Romans chapter 6 where it says that we're buried with Christ so that when a person goes under the water, it's a reminder that their old life, their old life without Jesus is dead and buried and their sins are dead and buried. And we bring people up out of the water. It's a reminder that through faith, we've now been united with Jesus so that we're living again with Jesus. Or as Paul puts it, The Apostle Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's a whole new life. And and it's a living hope as a result. We have hope that even when we die, even when our physical bodies, which are part of this old life, die, that someday Christ will come again and will be raised to a new life. So not only do we have a new spiritual life in us, I'm confident that someday my body will be a new body, fully following in the footsteps of Christ, spiritually raised now, physically raised when he comes again. That's a living hope. That's where my life is, is in that hope. Is that your hope? Is your hope in that kind of a new life? Isn't it great news that, that you can have a new life? I don't know where you're coming from today. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're new to Christianity or you're not sure if you're a Christian. And I just want to tell you the great news. You can have a new life. You can have a new life in this life. A totally new life. A transformed person with a transformed heart. And a new hope, a living hope. You know, it, like, man, a lot of us come from really banged up backgrounds. We've been banged up by our sin. We've been banged up by other people's sins against us. And we have issues and, and we're hopeless. But in Christ, you can have a new life. It's the ultimate do-over that lasts forever. <laughs> and it takes. Because God's power is at work in it. How do you know if you're born again? Maybe you're like, well, I don't know. Am I born again or not? I mean, how, how can you tell? It, unfortunately, it's not like when you're born again, you get like a light around you or something. I mean, that'd be nice. Then you can be like, oh, I know. I know I'm saved. Sometimes Christians struggle with that. They're like, I don't know if I'm saved. We think we're born again, but then we do something really stupid and sin, and we're like, oh, but if I was born again, why'd I do that sin? And so we wrestle with that. Um, 
Actually, I read an article recently by R.C. Sproul, who's a, a Christian author and teacher, a great Christian author and teacher, and, um, and it was actually an article that our youth pastor sent out to all the youth families, so we read it around our dinner table a couple nights ago, and, and the question was, you know, how do you know if you're saved, or how do you know if you're born again? And when people ask R.C. Sproul that question, he asks them three questions back. So here's the first question he asks. Do you love Jesus perfectly? Correct answer? No. <laughs> you know, none of us do, because we still sin and we still struggle. And of course, that's why we sometimes doubt whether or not we're saved, because we do fail to love Jesus perfectly. Second question then R.C. will ask a person is, okay, well then do you love Jesus as you ought? And again, that's a no, because I ought to love him perfectly, so no. So then he finally asks a question, a third question. Do you love Jesus at all. And if you're really born again, you will say, I love him. Not just I believe in him, not just I believe that he's a good man or a moral teacher or that he's a a wonderful example, but I love Jesus Christ. And you know, you either love someone or you don't. You know how love is. It's like it's either there that's there or it's not there. And if you love someone, you love them. And, and you can't love Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of our own making, not the postmodern Mr. Potato Head Jesus where we make him look like whatever we want, but the Jesus of Scripture. Do you love him? And we can't love him unless God puts that love in our hearts. I've told this story several times, um, but it has always stuck with me, of one person's experience in our church of being born again. He, he said, this is what it was like for me. He said, it was like one day a pilot light of love for Jesus suddenly kicked on in my soul where there hadn't been any before. And I was like, that's it. <laughs> suddenly you love Christ. Not that you're perfect, not that you don't struggle, but that there's this new life and, and when that comes on in your soul, it's, it's the life of Christ in you. And it's completely supernatural. And so we receive that by faith. You can't work for it. There's no class we can give you here at South Shore Baptist. There's no sacrament you take. You just have to, by faith, say, Lord Jesus, I'm dead in my sins, and I want to be alive in you. Would you forgive me, and would you, would you accept me? And God brings life to the dead. And for those of us who are born again, those of us who have this new birth, I think this, this verse is just an encouragement to keep, to keep enjoying and savoring and cultivating the new birth. You've been born again, so get busy growing up again. You know, keep, keep the process of, of transformation going. Keep following after Christ. Don't go back to the old dead life, but keep exploring and expressing this new life that has come to you in Christ. And that's the great thing about it is, is that there's a life within us, a life to battle against sin, a life to, to change and transform us. And so praise God. What a, what a treasure, this new birth. But wait, there's more. Verse four, look at the next treasure. Let's ride the conveyor belt a little bit further. Not only do we have a new life in Christ so that our life in this world is not our life, but we have a life in Christ, but we also have an inheritance. So that's the second one is this inheritance. Verse 4, 
We've not only been born again into a living hope, but also, verse 4, into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So we look back in the past and we say, I've been born again, and we look into the future and we say, I've got an inheritance coming. Kids look forward to an inheritance. We've come into a new family, the family of God, and now we're going to look forward to the inheritance of God that's coming when Christ returns. We have so much to look forward to. This inheritance is, is amazing. But I think there's even more to the inheritance language. Not only is it the imagery of a child receiving an inheritance, but, but if you think about inheritance language in the Bible and you trace it back to kind of find what, what the inheritance is in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the place where we really see the inheritance language developed is in the language of Israel. You know, what, what was the inheritance that Israel was to receive? It was the promised land. Remember, they got there. That was the inheritance. Then they finally got into the promised land. And then, do you remember what, what they do when they got in the promised land and they cleared it out? They divvied it up, just like an inheritance. This tribe got that piece. That tribe got this piece. And then within each tribe, every clan got certain sections and every family. So that by the time it was all said and done, every single Israelite, could point to a certain section of land that was marked out and they could say, this land belongs to our family for as long as we remain in this land. And it was their inheritance. Everyone got a piece of the promised land. And so there was an inheritance that was doled out to the Israelites. And so I think what's happening here is that Peter is continuing to use, and we'll see this throughout First Peter, he's continuing to use Israel experience language and Israel terminology to explain the church, because the church is, is the new Israel. It's the fulfillment of the promises of Israel. Israel was, it was a foreshadowing of the, the full people of God, Jew and Gentile, who are now unified not in Moses but in Christ. And so, so we have this similar kind of experience. Just like Israel in the Old Testament, we've left Egypt. We've been born again. We're not under Egypt anymore. And just like Israel in the Old Testament... We're heading to our inheritance. But in the meantime, we're kind of in this in-between phase in the desert. And, and this is where we are now. We're exiles. We're strangers. We're elect exiles going to our inheritance, but not currently where we belong. We're in a hard and difficult place, but we're pilgrimage, pilgrims. We're on a journey toward our inheritance with God. And look at this inheritance. It's killer. It's amazing. Look at verse 4. It's inheritance that can never, three words, perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. In Greek, it's, it's actually three negative words. So it's something more like an unperishable inheritance, an unspoilable inheritance, an unfading inheritance, something like that. So number one, it can't perish doesn't die. You know, one of the things that, that is so hard in this life is that every living person or thing that we love dies. Our spouses die. Children die. Unfortunately, sometimes grandchildren die. Our, our siblings die. Our best friends die. Our pets die. Our plants die. Great trees die. Everything dies. There's 
perishableness in this world. And it's, it's, it's terrible. And so we, we, we grieve that. But there's coming an inheritance that is imperishable. In the new heavens and the new earth, in, in the true promised land, in the true Jerusalem that we're moving toward, there is no perishing. No, nothing dies there. Just as we'll finally be fully resurrected in Christ, so we'll live forever. We'll be forever alive together. No more death. I have to say that as, I, as I've you know, wrestled through all the different feelings of thinking about potentially leaving this congregation, you know, one of the, probably the hardest ones for me is just the thought of leaving friends, leaving you all, not seeing people every week and seeing the people in my life. But I've really been, one of the, the, the things that God has been comforting me as I've been praying through that is he's just reminding me that someday there's going to be one church, one service, it's going to be long. It's going to be like it's going to feel like forever cuz it'll be forever. But it'll be awesome. You won't want it to end. And we'll get all the time in the world to know and enjoy and delight in one another. It will never it'll never go away. You know, it's like family reunions. You're like, "Oh, why does it have to end? Why does this have to end?" It's it'll never end. And we'll all be there. And, and, you know, you, you won't be like, oh, gee, I got to go. That's how we're always doing it in New England, right? Oh, I got to go. I got to do this. got to do that. No, no one will do that. We'll, we'll have forever. <laughs> like, you got 10 more minutes? Yeah. <laughs> 10 minutes, 10,000 years, whatever. Just talk. And we'll be together. It's an imperishable inheritance. It's an unspoiling inheritance. That word spoil there is a, it really has the idea, uh, not so much like, like fruit going bad, but more like, like something being defiled by sin. So it's more like a ritualistic word, like something that's ritually clean that then becomes unclean, or something that's holy that gets defiled by something common or sinful. That, that's the idea. In other words, it, it's, the inheritance can't be ruined by sin. In this world, everything is ruined by sin. Every relationship, even the best relationships, are ruined by sin. Sin taints marriages. Sin ruins business partnerships. Sin messes up churches. Sin divides families and creates all kinds of tension. Sin, sin just ruins things. It, it, it ruins art, you know? movies and, and beautiful works of art. And then you, you, haven't you ever watched a movie? You're like, this movie's great. And then like two-thirds in the movie, there's just like some really trashy scene. And you're like, why do they have to put that in there? They ruined it, right? This movie would have been fine without that junk. You know, so, you know think of the internet. What an amazing invention. And, and it's tainted. There's like amazing things, but there's also terrible things on the internet of all sorts hatred and, and lust and sin is expressed there just as much as, as good things. This world is, it's like, a, it's like an oil spill. You know, you see the pictures where the, the big tanker will spill and then all the oil will wash on shore and then the people will go for the cleanup and there'll be like some, you know, seagull or whatever and it'll be like, you know, trying to fly and it's all sticky and gooey and, you know, like waddling around in the, the tar. And that's how that's how this world is. Like sin is just, it's, it's got this oily film over everything, including myself. 
And even the best moments and the best churches and the best people have this oily taint of sin. And we, we finally say, oh, that's a great person. Then we get to know them and then they fail us. And we're like, oh, they've got the same oily sin all over them too. But there's coming an inheritance that will never spoil. No sin in heaven. Won't it be great to live in a new heavens, new earth where there's no sin? You know, the one thing that ruins everything is gone. Ah, to be saved, to sin no more. And this inheritance finally can never fade. Doesn't get old. Going to my basement, had to throw out a carpet, pretty stinky carpet. I was like, what smells down here? And I have a pretty dry basement. And it's just that, that old, I'm like, well, I guess this carpet's been here for like 15 years. So I, I like got down on it and I was like, 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 oh, you know, and so we wrapped that thing up and, and threw it away. So things get moldy and pictures fade and plastic becomes brittle and breaks and, and we get wrinkles and our hair changes and everything fades in this life. And so even the best things, you know, you buy a new car, what's the best part of it? The smell. Ah, new car smell, right? Two, two years later, you're like, this thing stinks. Did some kid pee in here? What is this? I can't tell what that smell is. My wife has like, that's one of her superpowers is smell. She gets in places and she's like, do you smell that? Do you smell that? I'm like, I don't smell anything. And she's like, there's something, there's something. And you know, then she finds like a rotten something under the seat. And that's how this world is. It smells. But imagine an inheritance that never gets old where the second law of thermodynamics has no effect where it always is wow, it always is new, it's always shiny, where every time you, you look at it again, you know, you, you look outside at the new creation again, you're still like, wow, it's so amazing and new. It is unfading. This is the inheritance that is kept in heaven for us. And it's kept there. God's got it under lock and key. It's there, it's kept it's secure. Nothing's going to touch it. Nothing from this life with all of its pollution is going to sneak in into that life and ruin it. It's, it's kept for us. So not only do we have this new life here, but we have a whole you know, world full of awesome stuff and relationships and joy that's, that's waiting for us there in heaven. Isn't that great? So, you know, don't worry about your stuff. That's one of my lessons from this. Don't worry about this life. This life is not my life. This stuff is not my stuff. You know, enjoy this life. I'm not saying we should all become ascetics or that we need to go live in a monastery, but, but I'm just saying, like, don't, you know, don't get too attached to this stuff, to this life, to your hobbies, even to your physical body, because it's all going to be upgraded. Upgraded. And this is all just kind of, you know, temporary. So hold it loosely what did Jesus say? He said, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Isn't it interesting? Moth, rust, thieves, three things. Just like here. It's, you wonder if there's some echo of Jesus' teaching here in Peter's. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so set your heart on those things. I don't know if you're experiencing loss. I don't know if you're experiencing deprivation. 
You have such a ridiculous inheritance coming if you aren't born again. (laughs) You're all set, man. You're all set. (laughs) Don't worry about it. When you see what you've got coming, it's going to blow you away. And then one more. The conveyor belt moves us on. A new birth in the past, a new inheritance in the future, and then in the present, a guarding and a shielding by the power of God to ensure that we get from A to B. Verse 5, we who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We are shielded by God's power. God is, is guarding us. He's surrounding us. That, that word for shielded can mean guarded or, or even like imprisoned. Like, you know, you're trapped in a cell with guards and guards around you. But in this case, it's a positive. It's not a negative. It's God is surrounding you completely to make sure that you get from Egypt to the promised land. He's making sure that you're going to finish the journey by His power. God is guarding you and walking you the whole way. God's protection is around you. This last week, the, uh, you know, the Pope was in here in America, and I know it's always scary when the Baptist pastor starts with a Pope illustration. You're like, where's this going? No, but seriously, all I want to say was just that, you know, one of the interesting stories was how much protection was put around the Pope. How much protection? I mean, there, you know, some people were complaining. There was like the, you know, the, the visible protection and then the you know, clothes, plain clothes guys, and then the cops around them, and then the, the streets that were roped off. There were just layers upon layers, like literally thousands of people, off-duty officers, forming this huge kind of human circle of protection around this man to make sure that he got where he was supposed to be and that nothing bad happened along the way. And what I want you to know is that if you're born again, you have protection around you that blows that away. You have not human beings with weapons. You have the power of God shielding you until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Or again, it's like Israel in the wilderness. They left Egypt. They were going to the promised land to their inheritance. And they had to go through the desert. Desert's a lousy place. But did God just say, okay, head on through the desert. Good luck. No, no. He gave them a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. He brought them water from the rock. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them quail from the desert. Their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. God just carried them. He he just picked them up on eagle's wings, and he brought them through the terrible desert of Sinai, and he brought them all the way to the promised land. God was with them the whole way. He shielded them and guarded them and protected them until they finally came to their home. It, it, it's amazing how God did that. And so God is doing the same thing with us. He's shielding us and protecting us to make sure that, that we stay faithful the whole way. God is, is not just satisfied to get you an inheritance and give it to you in the end. He wants to make sure that everyone for whom he died is going to make, make it to cross the finish line in the end. I think some of us have wrestled with fears. Maybe this is a fear you've wrestled with that you might somehow blow it and have your salvation and your inheritance taken away from you? Maybe you were taught that, or you feared that, or you wondered like, well, I think I'm a Christian, but maybe I, maybe I blew it, you know? It's like uh, little kids with the ice cream cone. You guys, sometimes you give a little kid an ice cream cone, you buy him a cone, 
and you, you know, it's a couple scoops on it, you hand it to the kid, and you hand it to the kid, what's, what's, what do you tell the kid every time? Don't drop it. If you drop this, I'm not buying you another one. And so the kid's like, like really carefully like licking it like down, you know, to make sure it doesn't like lick it up. Like, and it's this huge stressful thing. There's this kid stressing out trying to enjoy this cone, but he can't really enjoy it because he doesn't want to mess it up. And I think sometimes we have that view of salvation, like God gives us salvation. He's like, here you go, now don't mess it up. Because I, you know, I don't have another son to die for you. So we can't buy you another one. That's it. Better enjoy this. Don't drop it. But that's not the picture. This is a God who not only has kept our inheritance, but is shielding us. And, and it's through faith. It's not anything we have to do. We just have to trust him that he's faithful and that he's shielding us and protecting us. That, that the faith he's given us and the salvation he's giving us, he's making sure we don't drop it all the way, despite our, our weaknesses. He's holding us fast. He is guarding us and shielding us. That's how much he's with us. Maybe others of you read these verses, and you, you read them and you say, well, you know, based on my life in the last two years, it doesn't feel very much like I've been shielded. Sometimes we read verses like that. We say, that sounds nice. So then why did this, this, that, and that, and that happen? And, and, you know, whether it's grief and the loss of a loved one or kids going haywire or loneliness or a relationship you thought was going somewhere and then it breaks off or a job that blows up or health problems, you know, just all the junk of life. And, and, you know, we kind of have this idea that, like, if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus, we'll get some of that every once in a while, but just not everything in a huge flood. But sometimes Christians get everything in a huge flood. And then they think, I thought God was guarding me. Don't you guard me, God? But let's remember, he's guarding our faith. He's guarding our, our trust in him so that we get to the finish line. He's not promising us, you know, heaven on earth physically yet. Again, our life is not in this life, but it's in our inheritance and in Christ. So what we're guarded, what's guarded is our faith in Him, and, and that new birth is guarded to make sure that we hold on to our faith. Because on the last day, on the judgment day, it won't matter what your fitness level was like. It won't matter what your portfolio was like. All that will matter on the last day is your faith in Christ. You have it or not, and that will be it. And so God is guarding your faith, the most important thing you have, to make sure that you persevere to the end. God is persevering with you to carry you there the whole way because he's a faithful God. You know how you can know if you're born again? Here's another way you can know if you're born again. And some people have had this experience. This isn't a, a test that you hope for, but it's a test that's, that's true. Have you ever been through a really, really terrible season in your life as a Christian? where it wasn't just one thing, but it was like eight things, and they all seemed to come at once, and it was just disappointment after heartache, and maybe it, it sent you into, into a depression. Maybe you, were, you felt hopeless. Maybe you, you felt like you'd want to give up on your faith, and you, you temp, you're tempted to walk away from your faith, and you, you go through this terrible season of pain and, and disappointment, and, and it goes for a year, maybe two years. Maybe it goes like five years. And then after five years, you kind of start coming up out of it. And lo and behold, you still love 
Jesus. And, and everyone's like, why, why do you still believe that stuff? If you, if you believe in God, why did he treat you like that? You know, and all of our friends become like Job's wife. Curse God and die. Why, why do you believe that? And you say, I've been through hell, and yet I still love Jesus. Why do you still love Jesus? Only one reason. Because you were shielded by the power of God. It's not because you have some super strength to get through it. No one does. If you go through hell and back and you still love Jesus, that means He has shielded your faith and tested it and purified it. And if you come through hell and back and you still love Jesus and you're in church praising God and singing worship songs, that's a miracle. It means you were shielded and guarded through trial. And you realize at that point that your life is not this life. That's a good side of trials, right? Is they, <laughs> they help you see what your life is. My life is not this life. Where is our life? Look at one final verse, and I'll just read it. I'm not even going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it and close. It's Colossians chapter 3. Turn to Colossians chapter 3 on page 1166, just a few pages before. Colossians chapter 3, sorry, 1167 in the Pew Bible. And I'm just going to read the first four verses. And as I read them, I want you to ask yourself the question, where is your life? Colossians 3 verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you for the great treasures of salvation that are ours. And Lord, I pray that you would open up our eyes and our hearts to see the great blessings that we have in Christ, Lord. Lord, help us to see this world for what it is. This world at its best is a flower that blooms for a day and then tomorrow is fading and two days later is dead. Oh God, help us not to fix our affections and our hopes and our identity and our life on anything in this life. Help us to enjoy this life, but to enjoy it as people who are looking forward to something better. Oh God, we pray that we would enjoy this life like, like people sitting in an airport terminal having a lunch, but are really looking forward to home. Oh God, I pray that you would put our affections on Jesus, on the world to come. God, I pray for any brother or sister here who is just struggling, is just getting beat up by the world, who's battered and tired. 
Oh, Lord, would you give them hope and give them eyes to see that which is invisible, which is our life to come. Oh, Lord, I pray for any of us here who've, been, who've become sinfully wrapped up in this life, who have made things in this life uh, into sinful idols. Oh, Lord, help us to cast down our idols and not store up treasures on earth. And God, I pray for anybody here who doesn't know you, who's not born again. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who thinks they're a Christian but who's not been born again, I pray that you would unsettle them so that they wouldn't be self-deceived, but that they would then begin to seek the real deal. And so, God, I pray if there's anyone here who's in that category, would you just show them that they're not a Christian but then make them hungry to become a Christian, to really know the new birth. Lord, I pray especially for our, our, our kids here, teenagers here, who've grown up in the church, who, who know all the Sunday school answers because they've been to Sunday school. God, I pray that they might not just be cultural Christians, but that they would be really born-again followers of Jesus. Lord, would you cause the pilot light of love for Jesus to pop on in many souls? Oh, God, we can't do that. You can do that because it's a supernatural thing. And Lord, help us to get there. Help us to cross the finish line. Help us to keep plodding one foot in front of the other in this life, joyfully, faithfully. Keep us moving forward, Lord, with hope. Carry us all the way until we finally gather in that great service, that great family reunion that will never end around your throne. Oh, Lord, come quickly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.